if you would like to be to use the nursery, um, um, you may do so. For the rest of you, if you have a sermon note sheet um, and looking toward um, what we discussed last week with the quest of the wise men, you know that we are moving into this week to a, a new series um, on knowing God, the attributes of God. In, it's a quest. It's a, a quest of mine that probably has gone on for many, many years, um, and it continues to go on. Chris, can I get you to turn, hit the lights for me? One that will continue on for many, many years, um, but one that is the continual pursuit that's there. And our Bible reading this morning was from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 14, talking from Paul's perspective of his quest in life, his pursuit. And Paul talked about all the things that he had going for himself. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a true Israelite. Israelite. He, was, he was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was moving up in the ranks of the Pharisees. Concerning zeal, he was persecuting the church. He had followed those who claimed to be believers all the way to Damascus so he could bring them back to Jerusalem and have them killed. But on that trip to Damascus, everything changed. Jesus Christ came to him. And he began a pursuit. He began a journey. He began a quest that the thirst for never was quenched. And so he said, all these things that were gained to me, all these things that were mine, all these things that I could claim, I now count them but dung. Rubbish is what you have, but the, the word is dung. I count them as manure. It's the filth that you could, anything lower you can't imagine. This is what I consider all those things that I had going for me. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, which is of myself, but the righteousness which comes by God through faith, that I may know him, that I may know him, in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. And then he goes on, he says, so the things that from the past, I've got to let them go, forgetting the things which are behind, in reaching forward to the things which are before me. What's the things that are before me? It's the things that will cause me to have a greater opportunity to know my God. Things that will help me to to know him in his power and to know him in his sufferings. He says, I press toward the, the mark. I press toward the goal. I press toward the tape at the end of the race. I press toward the goal for the prize of the high call of God. In Christ Jesus. What's that high call? What's that goal? What's that mark that Paul was willing to to sacrifice everything to go for? That he considered to be the most paramount thing of all life. That nothing else would compare with it. He told you. 
that I may know him. I want to know him. Lord, I want to know you more. Deep within my soul, I want to know you. Lord, I want to know you. And I would give my final breath to know you in a death and resurrection. Lord, I want to know you more. It's a song by Stephen Fry. It brings tears to me every time I sing it. When my daily deeds ordinarily lose life and breath, when my worldly wanderings just overcome me, that's when the Spirit blows. I know the Spirit's call. And Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to know you more. Deep within my soul, I want to know you. As we go into this, this, this series, I start off with the question, why? Why? Why would Paul be willing to, to sacrifice everything so that he could know Christ? Why would you, why should you be willing to step up in your, in your relationship with Jesus Christ or to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because knowing God, having a vibrant, growing relationship with the God of the universe is more satisfying and stimulating than any other relationship than you could ever have. That's kind of my my thesis, I guess, my springboard coming into this. And if there's one thing that I would want to be known for, not that I'm necessarily there, but you know, like I'm reading through Proverbs 10 this morning for you know, my quiet time, and it says the memory of the, the righteous is blessed. I'd want to be known as a guy who loved God and who wanted to know him deeper and deeper throughout his life. What we are going to begin today is a journey that will have just begun. It's like going to the ocean and stepping on to the beach. And you're looking out there at that full expanse of the ocean. I wish it was darker in here so you could see that picture better. And realizing that your job, if you would, your, your burden, your calling, your hunger, your thirst, your zeal is to study that ocean in its depths, in its entirety. And the reality is you've just stepped onto the, the beach. And now you're looking at this endless view of nothing but ocean. Some of you have never been to the ocean before. This may be your first trip to the ocean. Some of you today have an opportunity to step onto the beach and for the first time really take a look at the ocean, that ocean being God. Some of you have talked about the ocean You've read books about the ocean. You know some details about the ocean. You might be able to tell me some of the depths of the ocean at different places. You might be able to tell me about some of the wrecks that are in the ocean. But you've never 
gone to the ocean. You never experienced the ocean. You don't know the ocean. We're going to talk about that in a moment. For some of you, you've come to God. You know God, but you're still on the beach. You're still there. You're still on the beach. You've found contentment in having an umbrella over your head. But the thrill of being at the ocean is being in the ocean. Is experiencing the power of the waves. Being filled with the awe of the ebbs and tides. The life that is rampant within it. Some of you have waited. You've put your toes in it. But I want to challenge you to whatever position that you're at in your relationship with God. Whether you would say, okay, I, I, I know who God is, but you've really not met him. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day when you can come to the ocean, if you would. You can start the journey. You can see how awesome the ocean God, if you would, really is. And for those of you who have been content to play on the beach, I want to challenge you to jump in. To jump in. And knowing that at the end of this series, however long it takes this year, when we're done, you have only just begun. You will only just begun understanding the magnitude, the depths, the breadths of the love, the holiness, the omnipotence, the omniscience, the unchangeableness, the faithfulness of this God who loves you and wants you to enjoy him and wants you to know him so much so that he's revealed himself to us so I'm asking you to go on this quest with me this quest of knowing God and today as we begin the quest I want to I answer four questions or <laughs> I want to consider four questions there is just so much I feel like I, I have ten dump trucks that I want to dump there are verses, like even this morning, Marsha said, well, are you going to share this verse? And I said, no, bring it up. If, uh, thank you. you want to, I meant to say that. This is a nursery monitor. We, we've, we've, this is important because the people in the nursery like to hear too. I don't know why. I listen to me sometimes and I think, what do people come to listen to? We have it the wrong way. We'd like them to hear us, not us hear them. It's okay. The people, the people on the internet who listen to this will have a kick out of that. Anyways, so um, that's mind-boggling to me too to know that there's actually people going to the website listening to these messages. I just think, okay. But four questions that I want to just start to consider. And first of all, and that is, should be the first question you, you, you should ask. What are you talking about? I remember years ago when I presented this at another church I was at, just a challenge to know God. 
a guy who wound up being probably my, my best friend I ever had, came up to me and said, I don't get it, Bob. You're using this term to know God. Do you really mean that? Do you, I mean, do you really mean to, to really know him? And I said, yeah, Mike, I really mean that. So we're going to talk, what does it mean to know God? I mean, what, what do you mean, know God? Secondly, why should I desire to know God? Third, how can I know God? And then finally, which we probably won't get to much this morning, what will be the results of knowing God? Now, understand this is just a smattering to get us going. We're, we're going to be considering the, the nature of God, the composition of God, the, the character of God, the personality of God. We're going to be considering so much of his interactions, the works of God. But that first question, what does it mean to know God? You have a, a lot of um, things on your, on your sermon note sheets, uh, much more. First of all, what does it mean to know God? I want to present two, two contrasts, two, um, two things to look at. First of all, is the, the words oida and gnosko. Oida and gnosko. And I know, you're looking at it and you're saying what? It's all Greek to me. It's all Greek to me. And, uh, well, that's good. It, it is Greek. So we're, we're getting somewhere. But they are two words in the Greek which mean to know. Oida is the word which means in the Greek to know something intellectually or factually. Gnosko is that which means to know something intimately or experientially. Good illustration is um, you're working with me and we're going to put on a roof. And, and we're putting on the roof, and I, and I ask you to, to, to go cut off the edges of the, of, the, um, of the shingles. Now, before we went up on the roof, we had discussions. We had science class, and we talked about um, Isaac Newton. We talked about the apple, and we talked about the fact that there is a certain thing called gravity, right? And so we all oida gravity at that point. We all knew about gravity. We factually understood it, intellectually understood all that stuff. But... As I asked you to cut off the edges of the, of the shingles, you took a step too far. And do you know what happened? You switched from oida to gnosko of gravity because you experienced gravity. You became intimate with gravity at that moment as you fall. You know, the fall doesn't hurt. It's the sudden stop at the bottom that really messes things up. Anyways, but bringing that now into a relational concept, how many of you know President Obama? Sure you do. Put your hand up. You all know who I'm talking about. I mean, I mean you, you know of President Obama. You oida him. But none of us here, I think, gnosko him. There are many people who oida my wife. But I gnosko my wife. And I'm going more and more every day. In the Bible, we're given illustrations. These words are used a lot. And so Jesus um, said to, to this woman in, in Matthew 20, he said, this is the, the mother of James and John, he says, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said to her, you don't know. You don't oida. You don't factually, intellectually understand what you're asking. But Jesus called them, his disciples, to himself, and he said, you know, you intellectually understand 
that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. So there's, this term oida is a term which talks about factual knowledge. I would, if I asked you today, how many of you believe that there's a God? I would imagine that everyone's hand here today would go up. And I would ask how many of you may know about God. Many of you would say, put your hand up. And you could tell me something about God. But my challenge to you right now in the very beginning is, do you oida God or do you gnosko God? See, here's the difference between the words. Now we hear Jesus talking about this parable of the fig tree. He says, now learn a lesson from the parable of the fig tree. When its branches... When its branch already becomes tender and puts forth leaves, you gnosko, you relationally, experientially know that summer is near. Why? Because you've what? You've seen it. You've tasted it. You've, you've heard it. You've felt it. you experienced this. You, you know that this is what's going to happen. So you also, when you see these things happening, gnosko, experientially understand that the time is near at the doors. But... Of that day and hour knows Oida, no one factually, intellectually knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Okay? We just got talk, done talking about a, a series in Revelation. And not a one of you today knows, intellectually, factually can tell me the day or the hour that Jesus Christ is coming back. But Jesus said that when these times that he's talking about, when the wars and the rumors of wars and all these other things that he has prophesied and told us about begin to happen, when you begin to experience them, when you begin to become intimate with them and you're walking through them and you're interacting with them, then like the fig tree, you will what? You'll know. You'll know. And so what I'm asking you today as we go into this, what does it mean to know? I'm challenging you to go beyond factual knowledge and understanding, intellectual sense of who God is. To having a relationship with him. To having an intimate, experiential relationship with the God of the universe. Now, for some of you, honestly, that may be threatening. That may give you the willies. That may sound like I'm being a little charismatic or I'm being a little bit of out there. But understand, I'm not asking you to, to follow me. No cultic thing here. I'm asking you to follow God. I'm asking you to follow after that which he has called you to. Why? Oh, let me finish this out with theology and theognosis. Theology is the study of God. It is the, the word which is used to, to encompass really the study of religion. It has become. But it's the study of God. I, I'd like to call you to theognosis. That's a word I'm coining right now. So I would like a couple of you to put this in print so that um, it can get put into the dictionary because I can't find this. But it means the knowledge of God. Intimate knowledge of God. Not just the study of God. Now understand that we're going to have some study of God here to get to know him better. 
but it's not just to write a book. It's not just to have a sterile report on who God is. You can have psychology. You can have biology. You can have all these other theologies. But all they are is what? Studies of it. And you can read the books and know a whole lot, but you've never done it. So I'm not asking you to get into theology right now. I'm asking you to go deeper than theology. To theognosis. To have this knowledge of God. But there's a warning that goes with all this. 1 Corinthians 8 says, Now concerning the things offered to idols, we know, intellectually know, that we all have experiential knowledge. Experiential knowledge does what? Puffs up. But love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he experientially knows anything, he experientially knows nothing, yet as he ought to experientially know it. But if anyone loves God, this one is experientially known by God. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we factually know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. What's the warning? Say this again, Daniel. Not to become prideful. That's exactly right. Because as we go into this and we become this relationship with God, it can become very prideful for us. And we can begin to judge others who maybe are still sitting on the beach. You know, we can get out in the waves and we can be catching waves and we can jump in waves and we can be doing everything else and digging deep and finding the seashells and, and everything else. And we can be rejoicing in everything we found, you know, and say, man, I can't believe you're just sitting on the beach or I can't believe you won't even get on the beach. Knowledge puffs up, love edifies. Jeremiah, by the Holy Spirit, says, For thus says Yahweh concerning Shalom, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages and gives him nothing for his work. Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this... Knowing me, says Yahweh. What's the point? You can fall into the same trap. Gnosgoing God. As with oidaing God. Because John tells us that very clearly, the proof in the pudding of whether you're gnosgoing God, whether you really know God, is what? Obeying his commandments. We're memorizing that verse this month, right? He who says, I know him, and keeps not his commandments, is a what? Is a liar. Who said so? God said so. You say, I gnosko him, I experientially know him, but you're not obeying his commandments, you're not doing what he's commanded to do, then you're lying. You're out in the middle of Omaha, talking about the beach, talking about the ocean but you're not there. Clearly that picture that I'm showing you is not one that I took from the beach. I got it from the internet. It's a great picture. But there's a lot of people who are doing the same thing with God. They're talking about it from a distance. But if you look at their life, 
proof is in the pudding, in the fruit that's on the tree. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor will a bad tree produce good fruit. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. Why should I desire to know God? First of all, because God desires for you. God desires a relationship with you. In fact, from the very beginning, he has sought a relationship with mankind. Genesis chapter 3, we know just before there was, um, at that time that they were sinning, that when God came and he walked, and we're told they heard the sound of Yahweh, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. Why did they hide themselves? Because of sin. Because of a breaking in the relationship they had. But they heard God walking in the cool of the day, walking in the garden. And God then says to, cries out, he says, And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? What do you read in that passage that was going on in the Garden of Eden? God was looking for them, but that it was normal for what? For him to walk with them for them to have fellowship, for them to have a relationship, for Adam and Eve to talk to God. And so I believe that when God told Adam to eat, you could eat any tree you want to, but not from this tree, that God was like me talking to you right now. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? Mind-boggling. God wants to be known, even when... It comes to the Exodus, when, when the children of Israel are being led out of Egypt. Note what it says throughout the book of Exodus. It says, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall what? You'll know. you know me. You'll know that I am the Lord your God. Look at verse 5 of chapter 7. And the Egyptians will what? The Egyptians will know. Down in chapter 31, it says, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Shabbats, my Sabbaths, you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you, throughout your generations, that you may know. God wants us to know him. He has put all these, he's done all these things in a miraculous way. Think about it. Even with Abraham, I skipped that, but I, I hate to skip. I mean, just like I said, i got so many things I want to share. I mean, for Abraham, what did he do for Abraham on the plains of Mamre? He came incarnate and spoke with him in the flesh, like you, me and you. Why? Because he wants them to know him. Gnosko, well, no, well, it's not gnosko because it's Hebrew. But it still means to know something, not just intellectually. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested, made open toward us. Not that we did it, but God did it. What did he do? That God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Listen, God is continually pursuing a relationship with us. If you've not walked onto the beach yet. You, you, you could say that you have. It doesn't really matter. But you know you haven't. God is the one who's pursuing it with you. It's not you pursuing it with him. But when the fullness of time, Galatians 4, had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. What does it talk about to you? It talks about a relationship to me. He could have... He could have he could have redeemed me so I could have been his slave. No relationship there. No intimate relationship anyway. But he wants me to be his, his son, his child. 
And we've talked about that in messages past. But clearly, when, I, when, the, when the guys go with me and stuff like that, wherever we go, it's, it's the talk. Matt, I drove Matt down to, to Bruton Parker on Friday, and we talked for two hours. Gar tomorrow, I get to take Gabrielle to Greenville. It's an opportunity for us to have some time to talk, to have fellowship, to have a relationship. God desires a relationship with you. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, Thus saith Yahweh, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, exercising love, loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the world. For in these I delight, saith Yahweh. The idea there is that we're going to know him by his attributes as well, which we'll talk about. But that's what he, God wants us to glory in. Not that our own righteousness, not how good we are, not how rich we are, how powerful we are, but period, that you know him. If that is not the ultimate pursuit of your life, <laughs> you're so short. It is so short of what God desires for you. Secondly, because of our need. Well, what's our needs? First of all, we have a need for salvation, don't we? And the neat thing is that God desires for me to have this everlasting life. And so knowing God, though, is the source of it. It's, it's, it is the key of everlasting life. In fact, Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, and this is life eternal, a definition. What's eternal life? Knowing God. Knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. What's the point? This is the message which Jesus gave. You want to be saved? You want to have everlasting life? It all comes in a relationship with God the Father. Knowing him, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent. And that message is true. And those who have believed that message have passed from death to life. It's not that you will get everlasting life, but if you know God, you have everlasting life. You can't kill me. Jesus said to Martha, he says, If anyone believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And if anyone believes in me, being living, he will never die. Do you believe it? You can stop my, my flesh from existing on this earth, but you can't kill me. I have everlasting life right now. And the worst thing that man thinks they can do to me is the best thing that they can do to me. They just give me an early exit where my faith becomes sight. And, and this, this veil, this, this, this cloud that's in front of me right now, keeping me from seeing the fullness of who he is, will be removed and I will see him as he is, and I will be made like him. But everlasting life starts from knowing God, knowing him. I don't care how many sinners' prayers you've said. I don't care how many times you've been baptized, whether you were baptized as a baby, whether you were baptized as an adult, whether you got dunked, whether you got anointed, whether you were sprinkled, whether you were spit upon. I mean, I don't really, I mean, I, I don't care what has happened in your life. If you have never come to Jesus Christ, if you have never come to God the Father in a relationship with him and said, I believe and I want you. I know I'm a sinner. I know you died for me and I want this relationship. You're not his. I don't care how many aisles you went down. 
I don't care if you wrote a Billy Graham crusade. I mean, so many times, I, I, down here is like up north. Up north, you go to knock on a door, and people are going to tell you the Catholics. Down here, people are going to tell you the Baptists. I don't care what stripe you call yourself. What I want to know is, do you know God? Do you know him? And do you desire to know him more? Do you want to know him in the power of his resurrection? In the fellowship of his sufferings? Because if you know somebody and you love them, you want to know him more. Hector, you had a great surprise the other night, didn't you? Do you want to know that present a little bit better? Yeah, isn't that something? It's an amazing thing. Because the more we get to know somebody that's special to us, the more we want to get to know them. And if you don't have that, those thoughts toward God, I want to challenge you at the core of your faith. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you're playing a game. And God forbid that I should get before his throne one day and, and have my, my, my deception exposed for all of eternity. Knowing God is also the source of growing in Christ. It's our need for sanctification. God wants us to continue to grow in his grace and knowledge. Peter said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. It is a pursuit that should never, ever end. If you ever get to the point where you think you know it, you know nothing as you ought to know. Isn't that what we just read? Wasn't that the warning? If you ever think you got there, you think you got God in the box, you really know him. It shows how much you don't know about God. That's like saying you want to be the expert on the ocean. Jacques Cousteau studied the ocean for how many years? Decades. And he still knew nothing to the depth of the ocean. There are still animal life that come up from the bottom that wow people because they didn't know it was there. How can I know God? How can I know him? First of all, you must earnestly desire the relationship. You must earnestly desire the relationship. With Marcia, my wife, at some point, I needed to want to know her. Does that make sense? I remember that day. Marcia doesn't want me to get into it, but I remember the day. I remember looking up the hill and seeing her come down and my whole body going Peter Petter Pumpernickel, saying, I want to know her. In fact, I want to marry her. I know, I didn't even know her yet, but I wanted to know her. I, mean, I wanted to marry her, you know? And so, anyways, she didn't want to know me. She, anyways. But I told the guys around her she loves me. She just doesn't know it. Anyways, I reminded her who I was months later after we got engaged. In fact, I might have waited until I forgot married. Anyways, reminder of which jerk I was. And um, so, but I knew there was something 
that I wanted in a, and I needed to start a what? A relationship. I, I didn't want to know her from a distance. I mean, I didn't want to just say, wow, that's a really cool person, you know. Anybody got any facts about that person? That's really cool. Okay, let's pick somebody else now. No, I wanted to know her. I wanted a relationship with her. Now, in that then, I had to start a relationship somewhere. I had to do what? I had to go. And, and, and I, had to, I had to broach this relationship. And now, for it to be an intimate relationship, though, it had to go one next step, didn't it? And that was to a proposal for a marriage. Isn't it interesting that, that one of the main relationships that God uses to describe the relationship between us and Jesus Christ is their marriage relationship? That I'm supposed to be his bride and he is my groom, my bridegroom? Ladies, how intimately do you want to know your husband? Some of you are going, well, I don't know. <laughs> but no, ladies want relationships. Ladies are all about relationships. Guys are physical. But ladies, ladies want relationships. Isn't it interesting that God chose to use us as the bride, signifying that there should be some desire within us to have a relationship, to want to know him better? But even still being married to Marcia, she is still a mystery to me. There is still so much of her after 20,000 years, no, 26 years of being married that I don't know. Have you ever read the Tale of Two Cities? Of the, the postman coming into the city? where the fog is there, and he, as he looks into the city in the dark, he sees all these lights, and every light represents a candle, and every candle represents a window, and every window represents a soul, and every soul represents a mystery. I stopped reading it after that. I mean, I just couldn't. It was too profound. I just stopped, and I'm just, I just, I, 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 for years I've been meditating on that statement. I mean, it's such a profound statement. And I look out right now, I mean, I've got a room full of mysteries that are here. You don't know me. You know a lot about me, but you don't know me. You don't know the other 10,000 thoughts that are going through my brain right now. You only hear the th words that I'm saying. But it's amazing how many thoughts can go through your brain while you're standing up here talking. Some good, not some not so good. I'm no different than you are. And that's why you're a mystery to me, too, because I know how much of a mystery I am to myself. But in order for me to, 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 to find out more of the mystery that's called Marcia, I, 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 I have to earnestly desire that relationship. Does that make sense? Now, the hard part in that is that she has to want it too. So I want to know her. But if she doesn't want me to know her, too bad. You're out in the cold. And so we can sit here and we can say, it's our desire, it's our pursuit to know God. And we're going to start this journey this year because we're going to go and know God. But there's a huge contingency there, isn't there? And what's that? God has to want to be known. God has to open himself up to you. He has to reveal himself to you. I mean... 
Marcia may want to know what I'm thinking, but if I'm not willing to open up and share what I'm thinking, she'll never know what I'm thinking. And part of to know me is to know how I'm going to respond in certain situations, because you know how I, I think, how I, yeah, what I am, how I am. That's really knowing me. But if I don't open up, you'll never know that. That's why I like to open up sometimes, and I share some goofy things about myself. Because I believe that as believers, we should be more intimate with one another. The fellowship that we have with one another should be based upon the fellowship that we have with the Father and with the Son. And the more open that we have our fellowship with one another, the more accountable we can become with one another. I mean, I don't want you guys to know my Aki side, but the other side is, if you know my Aki side, you'll, keep, you'll protect me from falling into sin. You'll see areas that are coming up that may be temptatious to me. And you'll say, brother, I think you need to walk this way with me. And I go, no, no, well, okay, I'll walk that way with you. But we don't want people to know our icky side. We don't want people to know that we're sinners. But you know what's so neat? Is that while I was a sinner, God knew it. And he sent Jesus to die for me. Do you know why? Because he wants the relationship with me. So it's not, I don't have to worry about, I mean, it's, I don't have to worry about, well, will God open himself to me? The answer is yes. He already has. That's why we bring this Bible every week and we start talking about this. God's manifested himself so clearly to us and he's promised that, that to those who then diligently seek him, he will make himself known. The book of Proverbs is not necessarily a passage that <coughs> you would think about going to for this knowing God thing. But read what it says here in Proverbs chapter 2. It says, My son, if you receive my words... If you treasure my commands within you, and so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you what? If you cry out for it. If you lift up your voice for understanding, and if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure. Stop there for a moment. If somebody gave you a map, and they told you that in your backyard, in your backyard, there was a million dollars hidden in a little box. And they said they didn't know exactly where it was, but, but according to this map that was found in the, in, the, in the county seat, it looks like it's in that back quarter of the yard. What would you do? A million bucks, what would you do? Say, oh, I don't have time for that. I want to play Wii. You know, I don't have time for that. I want to, I want to go minister to the neighbors down the street. I don't have time for that. I want to be spending my time in prayer and fasting, and searching of the scriptures. I guarantee probably every person in this room we've got at Home Depot buying shovels. We're going down to Reliable Rental and, and, and getting a, a front load or, or, or a digger of some sort and trying to, to find that little bitty box. Because what's $300 on a piece of equipment when you get a million dollars coming in, right? He says, if you cry out, and if you lift up your voice, if you seek it like that, if you really have a passion to find it, what's going to happen? Then you're going to understand the fear of Yahweh, and you're going to find the knowledge of Yahweh. Why? For Yahweh gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. To the prophet Isaiah, he said, the one who says, seek me, seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He wants it. The question is, do you want it? 
I mean, it's not, we can turn around and say, oh, but God, you never opened yourself up. He said, yes, I have. Over and over and over again. How many times do I have to sit here and ask you to sit on my lap so we can read a book together? And you were unwilling because you'd rather go off and play in the mud. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him that is God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. Seek ye first, foremost, the greatest priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And all that other stuff, that treasures and stuff like that, it'll be added unto you. Because God knows you have need of it. But you have to make this as your priority in life. That this has got to be the thing in your life that you want. Sometimes we're called to be still. And to what? To know. To know what? That he's God. Sometimes we just have to remove ourselves from everything about us. And quit talking. And start listening. Isn't it what James says? Be slow to speak. Quick to, to listen. Marcia loves our conversations when I talk all the time. Not. I mean, think about it. I'm an introvert. So this wipes me out, you know, putting out all the day. Okay? And I, I look forward to just going and finding my own little uh, solitude. <laughs> I was going to, like, prison, you know, my own solitary confinement, you know, that I can, I can rush to. And so I don't mind other people talking, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy talking myself. Does it make sense? I just don't feed on the energy of being with people. But I still like to talk. I still enjoy conversation. And so it's, it's awful when somebody comes and all they do is want to talk. Sometimes we be still and to know that he's God. We will we'll talk more in the weeks ahead about this knowing God and how I can know God and the process of knowing God. But finally, for our little dabbing of questions here, what will be the results of knowing God? Well, first of all, knowing God is going to work in me a desire to worship him, to really give him the glory. Jesus said these people worship me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. They don't really know me. In fact, so many times in, in, on the web, website, um, there will be, Lord willing, by the end of the day, um, it's already set up to, to go up there, um, and you can look at it. I've got a, um, uh, a Word document, well, it's a PDF, printed in a PDF, of a, a comparison of all the uses of the word gnosko and all the words, use of the words oida, okay? That you can go look at it. And, and so you can see where all these, the words are being used. And they're just the, the primary roots there, the word oida, using oidate and stuff like that, and gnosko. So I'm not even, I didn't even go into all the derivations of gnosko that, that were there, okay? But it's interesting in a lot of those passages where the word oida and word gnosko are used in the same context. And it's talking about how the people said to Jesus, we know that you are a good teacher. We factually, intellectually know this. 
But then it turns a little bit later, and it says, but Jesus gnoscoed their hearts. He knew what they were thinking. He intimately knew my heart. And that's something to think about. And so these people at the temple doing all this worship, all these offerings, Jesus says what? It's nothing. It's, it's, just all, it's, it's all sterile. It's all factual. These people worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. They know a lot about God, but they don't know God. Do you get the difference? And so when I know him, it will inspire me to love him and to give him the glory and the worship that he rightly deserves. To fall on my face before him, understanding I am but a worm that is the recipient of his grace. And secondly, it will give me a desire to reflect him in the world. There is a part of me that yearns for my sons to want to be like me. Isn't it a tragedy? Doesn't it hurt sometimes when they don't want to be like you? And there are situations that you can look out over, the, over life where someone hasn't been worthy of following their example. And they get to the end of their life and they have many what? Regrets. But I can challenge you with this, and I can assure you in this, that if you get to know my Abba, my eternal daddy, like I know my eternal daddy, you want to be like him. I want to be holy as he is holy. I want to be righteous as he is righteous. I want to be loving as he is loving. I want to be merciful as he is merciful. I fall so short of the glory of the reputation of God. But it still doesn't stop my hunger and my thirst to reflect him as I ought to to the world. You are the only Jesus. You are the, the image of God. Now don't go that too far with this one, okay? That people are going to see. Jesus said we're supposed to be his disciples. We're, we're supposed to, to, to crucify ourselves. We're supposed to take up our cross daily, to deny ourselves and follow after him, to be like our master, to be like our God. Do I have a desire to be like Christ so that I can reflect him. Back up in that sanctification portion, you have a, um, a statement that I put there that I wanted to make sure that I, I stated that you had. It says, God is predestined to be conformed to the image of his blessed Son. That's Romans 8. Who being in the very nature of God, Philippians 2, is the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1, and in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Hence, part of knowing God is knowing Christ. And our study of God will include 
the study of the fullness of who God is. But I'm called to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I can reflect him to the world. So, in conclusion, I ask you the question that I, I'd like to challenge myself with. I don't, wanna, I, I, I don't want to get there one day and have been playing a game. Do you honestly know God? Now, I'm asking, just not ask, put hands up, and we're not going to come down the aisle. But in your own heart, between you and God, this is just between you and God. Do you honestly know him? Before God, do you know him? Not before me. It doesn't matter. You, you may never say anything to me. You may never say anything to anybody else here. But you know in your own heart whether you're playing a game or not. Have you accepted his invitation to be adopted into his family? To have that, that, that initial step of getting on the beach? God says, come. And you said, I'm willing. And you, and you went to the ocean. You stepped onto the beach. You said, yes, Lord, I'm here. And yes, Lord, I want to be a part of what you got. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve to go to hell. But I know that you love me and you died for me. And I want what you got to offer. Man, I remember that day. I remember going to my den and crying out, God, if you can save this wicked soul, I'm yours. I was so full of my own wickedness. I understood it. I couldn't live to my own standards. How could I ever live to God's standards? But what a great rush it was to find out, to read in his word, that he loved me, that he knew I was at enmity with him, that I was in a a relationship of hatred with God because I wanted to live my own life. But he loved me anyway. And he was still saying to me, come, I'm waiting. And when I realized, and I came to the realization that I was going to hell, not because of him, not because he was sending me there, but because I was condemning myself. And I cried out my eyes before him. His grace was sufficient. He wants you to enter into that covenant relationship. Are you willing? And finally, if you know him, do you want to know him more fully? What are you willing to do to assist in the process? He's waiting to help you all along the line. You just have to be willing. What are you willing to shed? What are you willing to reprioritize? Remember last week we talked about those standards, those priorities that the, the wise men had to, had to come, come through in order to, to, to put the proper perspective on seeking after the newborn king of the Jews. And I warned you that I was going to be asking you this week that same question. What are you willing to do? Not just today. Not just this month. Not just this year. But in the whole context of your life. And the first step is you got to want it. you got to want it. Do you want it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for you. I thank you for your grace and your mercy.
I thank you for the desire that you have to have a relationship with not just me, but each of these individuals here today and, and throughout the entire world is mind-boggling to me, Father. And that I know that, that Jesus Christ is not only the propitiation for my sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that you desire all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. You are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That you love the world so much that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish but have everlasting life. That you gave us the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ and knowing you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. Lord, I pray that if anyone is here today that, that doesn't know you, Lord, that you will put in a burden in their heart to want to know you, and they would call out to you while you may be found. But Lord, for those who, who are your children, Lord, that you will put in that desire to want to spend time with you, to know you better. And Lord, that they would be willing to shed the weight of this world that so easily besets them. That they would be willing to run after you the author and finisher of our faith. To receive the blessedness of the rewards of the relationship that they can have with you. God, I pray that you'll give me wisdom and fervor over these weeks and months as we focus on you not just as a side doctrine We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our, our uh, bulletins and, and the inserts as knowing you.